Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. All the gentlemen except Gabriel ate some of the pudding out of compliment to Aunt Julia. As Gabriel never ate sweets, the celery had been left for him. Freddie Mallins also took a stalk of celery and ate it with his pudding. He had been told that celery was a capital thing for the blood, and he was just then under doctor's care. Mrs. Mallins, who had been silent all through the supper, said that her son was going down to Mount Melleray in a week or so. The table then spoke of Mount Melleray, how bracing the air was down there, how hospitable the monks were, and how they never asked for a penny piece from their guests. And do you mean to say, asked Mr. Brown incredulously, that a chap can go down there and put up there as if it were a hotel? and live on the fat of the land and then come away without paying anything. Oh, most people give some donation to the monastery when they leave, said Mary Jane. I wish we had an institution like that in our church, said Mr. Brown candidly. He was astonished to hear that the monks never spoke, got up at two in the morning and slept in their coffins. He asked what they did it for. That's the rule of the order, said Aunt Kate firmly. Yes, but why, asked Mr. Brown. Aunt Kate repeated that it was the rule, that was all. Mr. Brown still seemed not to understand. Freddy Mallins explained to him, as best he could, that the monks were trying to make up for the sins committed by all the sinners in the outside world. The explanation was not very clear, for Mr. Brown grinned and said, I like that idea very much, but wouldn't a comfortable spring bed do them as well as a coffin? The coffin, said Mary Jane, is to remind them of their last end. As the subject had grown lugubrious, it was buried in a silence of the table, during which Mrs. Mallins could be heard saying to her neighbour in an indistinct undertone, They are very good men, the monks, very pious men. The raisins and almonds and figs and apples and oranges and chocolates and sweets were now passed about the table, and Aunt Julia invited all the guests to have either port or sherry. At first Mr. Bartell Darcy refused to take either but one of his neighbours nudged him and whispered something to him upon which he allowed his glass to be filled. Gradually, as the last glasses were being filled, the conversation ceased. A pause followed, broken only by the noise of the wine and by unsettlings of chairs. The Mrs. Morkin, all three, looked down at the tablecloth. Someone coughed once or twice, and then a few gentlemen patted the table gently as a signal for silence. The silence came and Gabriel pushed back his chair and stood up. The patting at once grew louder in encouragement and then ceased altogether. Gabriel leaned his ten trembling fingers on the tablecloth and smiled nervously at the company. Meeting a row of upturned faces, he raised his eyes to the chandelier. The piano was playing a waltz tune and he could hear the skirts sweeping against the drawing-room door. People, perhaps, were standing in the snow on the quay outside, gazing up at the lighted windows and listening to the waltz music. The air was pure there. In the distance lay the park where the trees were weighted with snow. The Wellington Monument wore a gleaming cap of snow that flashed westward over the white field of fifteen acres. He began, Ladies and gentlemen, it has fallen to my lot this evening, as in years past, to perform a very pleasing task, but a task for which I am afraid my poor powers as a speaker are all too inadequate. No, no, said Mr. Brown. But however that may be, I can only ask you tonight to take the will for the deed. 
and to lend me your attention for a few moments while I endeavour to express to you in words what my feelings are on this occasion. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not the first time that we have gathered together under this hospitable roof, around this hospitable board. It is not the first time that we have been the recipients, or perhaps I had better say the victims, of the hospitality of certain good ladies. He made a circle in the air with his arm and paused. Everyone laughed or smiled at Aunt Kate and Aunt Julia and Mary Jane, who all turned crimson with pleasure. Gabriel went on more boldly. I feel more strongly with every recurring year that our country has no tradition which does it so much honour and which it should guard so jealously as that of its hospitality. It is a tradition that is unique as far as my experience goes, and I have visited not a few places abroad, among the modern nations. Some would say, perhaps, that with us it is rather a failing than anything to be boasted of. But granted even that, it is, to my mind, a princely failing, and one that I trust will long be cultivated among us. Of one thing at least, I am sure. As long as this one roof shelters the good ladies aforesaid, and I wish from my heart it may do so for many and many a long year to come, the tradition of genuine, warm-hearted, courteous Irish hospitality which our forefathers have handed down to us and which we in turn must hand down to our descendants is still alive among us. A hearty murmur of assent ran round the table. It shot through Gabriel's mind that Miss Ivers was not there and that she had gone away discourteously and he said with confidence in himself, Ladies and gentlemen, a new generation is growing up in our midst, a generation actuated by new ideas and new principles. It is serious and enthusiastic for these new ideas, and its enthusiasm, even when it is misdirected, is, I believe, in the main, sincere. But we are living in a sceptical, and, if I may use the phrase, a thought-tormented age. And sometimes I fear that this new generation, educated or hyper-educated as it is, will lack those qualities of humanity, of hospitality, of kindly humour which belonged to an older day. Listening tonight to the names of all those great singers of the past, it seemed to me, I must confess, that we were living in a less spacious age. Those days might, without exaggeration, be called spacious days. And if they are gone beyond recall, let us hope at least that in gatherings such as this we shall still speak of them with pride and affection, still cherish in our hearts the memory of those dead and gone great ones whose fame the world will not willingly let die. Hear, hear, said Mr. Brown loudly. But yet, continued Gabriel, his voice falling into a softer inflection. There are always in gatherings such as this sadder thoughts that will recur to our minds. Thoughts of the past, of youth, of changes, of absent faces that we miss here tonight. Our path through life is strewn with many such sad memories. And were we to brood upon them always, we could not find the heart to go on bravely with our work among the living. We have all of us living duties and living affections which claim, and rightly claim, our strenuous endeavours. Therefore I will not linger on the past. 
I will not let any gloomy moralizing intrude upon us here tonight. Here we are gathered together for a brief moment from the bustle and rush of our everyday routine. We are met here as friends, in the spirit of good fellowship, as colleagues, also, to a certain extent, in the true spirit of camaraderie, and as the guests of, what shall I call them, the three graces of the Dublin musical world. The table burst into applause and laughter at this allusion. Aunt Julia vainly asked each of her neighbours in turn to tell her what Gabriel had said. He says we are the three graces, Aunt Julia, said Mary Jane. Aunt Julia did not understand, but she looked up smiling at Gabriel, who continued in the same vein. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not attempt to play tonight the part that Paris played on another occasion. I will not attempt to choose between them. The task would be an invidious one, and one beyond my poor powers. For when I view them in turn, whether it be our chief hostess herself, whose good heart, whose too good heart, has become a byword with all who know her, or her sister, who seems to be gifted with perennial youth and whose singing must have been a surprise and a revelation to us all tonight. Or last, but not least, when I consider our youngest hostess, talented, cheerful, hard-working and the best of nieces. I confess, ladies and gentlemen, that I do not know to which of them I should award the prize. Gabriel glanced down at his aunts and seeing the large smile on Aunt Julia's face, and the tears which had risen to Aunt Kate's eyes hastened to his close. He raised his glass of port gallantly, while every member of the company fingered a glass expectantly, and said loudly, Let us toast them all three together. Let us drink to their health, wealth, long life, happiness and prosperity. And may they long continue to hold the proud and self-won position which they hold in their profession and the position of honour and affection which they hold in our hearts. All the guests stood up, glass in hand, and turning towards the three seated ladies, sang in unison with Mr. Brown as leader, For they are jolly gay fellows, For they are jolly gay fellows, For they are jolly gay fellows, Which nobody can deny. Aunt Kate was making frank use of her handkerchief, and even Aunt Julia seemed moved. Freddie Mallins beat time with his pudding fork, and the singers turned towards one another, as if in melodious conference, while they sang with emphasis, Unless he tells a lie, unless he tells a lie. Then turning once more towards their hostesses, they sang, For they are jolly gay fellows, for they are jolly gay fellows, for they are jolly gay fellows, which nobody can deny. The acclamation which followed was taken up beyond the door of the supper room by many of the other guests, and renewed time after time, Freddie Mallins acting as officer with his fork on high. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.